This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Uh, a sad one today, I guess, right? Well, a lot of the ones we do are sad, but this one's a little more, I guess you could say, recent. Well, we were alive for both of these, right, Pete? One, we were um, very young. The other one, we actually do remember seeing it as it happened and stuff like that, or shortly after it happened. Um, so today we're going to be exploring both the Challenger and Columbia space shuttle disasters and how it really changed NASA. Yeah, I mean, it I feel like it almost it almost diminished it Na- NASA. Yeah, right. Well, but, uh, well that's why there hasn't been hasn't been space shuttles. They don't use them anymore. And this is one reason yeah. why. And that you see a lot more of the uh, what, like SpaceX. Well, that's what it is. Like now they just do it private private firms. Yeah, private yeah. contractors for the most part because they just. I guess, like you said right before, the bureaucracy of a lot of this was this what was causing all the problems. Yeah, I feel like NASA's kind of given way because of these uh, two events that we talk about today. Well, now you have the United States Space Force, right? Like when you look at space programs of the United States. Yes. Um, NASA still goes into space. We just don't bring people into space anymore. And the only way people from America could get into space on the International Space Station, which we'll talk about because that's tied to the Columbia, living through Russia is one way. We rely on yeah, Russia. Which isn't really going to happen as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, oh, yeah, I would say so, right? Uh, but we rely on Russia to bring our um, astronauts up there. And also, uh, more recently, we rely on private companies. Nonetheless, uh, these two are definitely tied together, uh, as we will talk about today. One happens in the 80s. The other one happens in 2003. I do not remember the first one um, one bit. Obviously, I've seen videos of it numerous times because it's one of those, like, you know, history-changing events. But... Um, they're definitely tied together, as you'll notice, and they all tie to what NASA has become since then. So let's get into, I think we'll get into the space shuttle program first and kind of explain what a space shuttle is as opposed to what was there prior to it. And then we'll get into some of the specifics of what happened with the Challenger, its effects, and then we'll lead that into the Columbia incident or disaster in 2003. So the space shuttle program prior to space shuttles, you know, think of the rockets whenever we teach this to our students. And then you think of Apollo, a rocket goes into space as different parts and they disattach themselves and they make it into space. And ultimately, all that makes it down is this top pod that is brought down via parachutes and it lands somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. But premise here is that most of that rocket is destroyed. That's It just brings a yeah, person up or people up and it's garbage. Right. So what's the difference here? Yeah. Well, the main thing is that the space shuttle is going to it's going to have the crew and also all the equipment is going to be much bigger, but the space shuttle is going to actually land. It's actually, yeah, I know you always see this, but it has rockets. When it's going back, it doesn't, it kind of just glides back to Earth. That's kind of like yep, the, it's the, a glider. the idea of it, all right? It's just when it comes back in the atmosphere and it's going to come back down and it's going to land like a plane. It doesn't take off necessarily like a plane. It still flies like a rocket. The idea was maybe for one day, maybe that to happen. Who knows if that's what's going to be like in the future. Yeah. But um, the idea of the space shuttle was that as much of it as possible could be reusable. Yep, save money. That's basically yeah, the whole that, And that's one of the things you're going to see a lot. But you got, an, and then I'm um, just reading about this too. I guess I don't want to get too much into it. But a lot of these, Challenger in particular, was made just to be a test vehicle. And when this was built, this remember, this is being built in the 70s. 70s. Um, yep. when, late 70s, 75, 78. You know, Lockheed Martin gets a contract. They start testing it in 78 and stuff like that. And at the time, when I'm, I saw this a couple of times, is that the NASA computers weren't even sophisticated enough to calculate all the stresses about going through space. Yeah. So like like 
Challenger in particular was flown 10 times. And that's a lot of time. It had over 62 days in space. And then we, they didn't really understand like the stresses that puts on everything. Because going up, going flying in space, breaking you know, gravitational pull, coming back down, you're going to have wear and tear, just like any piece of equipment. Absolutely. And monitoring that becomes a problem because they don't really know. You're, you're, it all, it's all like a first first time you're seeing it happen. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah, it can really brought, be a problem. Yeah. You brought up a good point too. Like I always- Of course you know, I did. Thanks, Tom. As a uh, as a teacher, right? I'm always like making copies of something for my students, and the darn copy machine always breaks. And you think of like, you know, some people are like, "Well, it breaks because it's used a lot." I've heard one teacher say that to me once, like, "You know, it's used so often, that's why oh, yeah. it breaks." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but like, so is a car, and I don't expect it to just break while I'm driving, and so is a plane, and I don't expect it to break while I'm in the air." Um, that's kind of the premise. It's just a use and overuse. But in this case, the actual space shuttle program it was really as you say ahead of its time this premise oh yeah this is basically like a space that's what it is it is it's a spaceship it's a shuttle space shuttle that will go to space and it's going to need rockets it can't propel itself to space but then it will eventually glide back down and land like a regular airplane and initially it was columbia believe it or not which is the second crash the 2003 crash was the first one to go into space and it was the oldest out of all of them even though that was the one that happened in 2003 and not the Challenger. Columbia was delivered to the Kennedy Space Center in March of 1979. Two years later, in 81, it became the first ever shuttle to successfully orbit uh, the Earth. And basically, that's what jump-started the entire program. After that, it went through a bunch of different missions. Four ships were added to this fleet of space shuttles. The Challenger was added in 1982. Uh, Discovery was added in 1983. Atlantis in 1985. And the Endeavor was built in 1981 to replace the Challenger after the explosion that happened in eight. I'm sorry, 1986. So the basic premise of what this looks like, you guys could obviously Google the images, but the shuttle cannot go into space by itself. So what it, it is, it's attached. It has boosters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's attached to these like three things. Um, it looks like a rocket on the left side. It's got this like big drum in the middle and another rocket on the right side. The drum in the middle is the actual gas tank for like the most basic principle. Uh, the two rockets on the outside feed off the gas from the tank in the middle. And onto that tank is attached the actual space shuttle. Um, the two rockets will propel it forward using up that fuel. Once they get up to the atmosphere, the rockets and the fuel tank um, disattach itself. And then the space shuttle uses the three of its own engines as in the back to just do that last push into space. And once it's in space, it uses two other engines to kind of maneuver it around. The key here, uh, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about with relation to what happens in 1986, is that To make all this happen, NASA needed a lot of money, a lot of money they did not have. And quite frankly, 1970s, most of the budget um, felt almost like after 69, right? After we land on the moon, the budget of NASA keeps on getting slashed year after year after year. But there's still a certain expectation of us to continue space exploration. And this was designed, this space shuttle program was designed as a means to save money. And as you said before, to so that way we could reuse some equipment. Because even those two rockets, uh, those two rockets were actually going to, once they ran out of fuel, they were going to land in the ocean. And NASA would fish them out every time. Fish Yep. And Which is weird because like leaving, I've always heard that like salt water, like nothing degrades things faster than salt water. Right. Like sea air. And this is stuff is, and then you're going to put this stuff in in space, which is going to 
have all these stressors. Like it really was an accident waiting to happen when you look at it. And that's what they said too. Like a lot of like the inquiries and stuff into that. It was just unsustainable launch rate. These things, you couldn't just keep on using them and using them and using them, you yeah. know? Then, well, did like, you notice, just, like, I, did you read the why they kept on using them too? Is because they needed to pay for it. And the way that they designed this is, well, NASA had to make its own money because of the fact that government was not giving them money. So they started subcontracting with private companies. And how has NASA, not, I always understood that. Sorry, interrupt. I know. Like, how, no, is go, NASA, go, go. how is NASA not funded more? Like, you I know. think that, that would be something that would really be funded out of everything. Like NASA should be something that would be funded. Like you just hear about NASA. Everyone knows what NASA is. It's one of those government agencies that people are aware of. You know, it's on the news. Like yeah. You see about it all the time. Even the movies talk about it. Like it's probably one of the more famous ones, but it just doesn't get the funding that you would think. And that's something I don't think, I'll, like, I knew it didn't get funded much, but like not as, as little as it did. But like a lot yeah. of people are kind of, like, they just assume, oh, NASA gets all the money they want. Not really. Like not no. at all. Like they are really underfunded when it comes to these things. And even more so after um, the Columbia disaster. Oh, and now it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a sh- you it's know, almost like a deformer it, itself. It, yeah. Like yeah. it's crazy. Like remember like all those, um, TV shows like Double Dare and stuff, whatever you said, you could win like a week at space camp. That was like the coolest yep. thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. NASA, that just made NASA look like the coolest thing in the world. And like, it's really not. Like, well, that's it's the just, thing. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still just, cool. It's just, it's just really. Yeah. But it's, but it's not, but it's not seen that way by like the bureaucracy, I guess you could call it. Right? Yeah. Like you never see like, you know, you're watching a state union. They're not talking about NASA. Yep. You're watching what, what's going on. You know, they're not worried about NASA. They're worried about, you know, balloons and well, we're not going <laughs> we're, 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 we're not getting. Yeah, we're not getting get political. We're not, uh, we're not getting however, political. <laughs> but, you, did, you did bring up a good point, actually, like how it's not mentioned what, in the, the news or political things. News? But because that com- that um, plays a part, actually, with the Challenger, because people believe that it was forced up in to the air, even though it shouldn't have because of the fact that President Reagan was going to say something about it in his um, wow, what State, of State of Union. State of yep. Union. So we'll, we'll kind of get a little bit ahead of ourselves. But the premise here is NASA's getting... Uh, money budgets cuts and they still need to get into space they still want to get into space there's a telescope in space there the station uh, international space station is not being built yet that hasn't happened yet but the idea here being that what they do is they start subcontracting different companies to build parts for them including those two rockets that are attached to the tank to which the space shuttle attaches. So those two rockets are not built by NASA they built by a private contractor. Similarly, they are pressure to go into space, as you mentioned, often, quite frankly, like every couple of months, they're flying these things into space because private companies are now paying NASA in order to bring up into space their um, satellites. So there's this premise of like, well, you have private companies paying a federal agency to bring things they want into space, like, you know, any form of satellite for TV, for uh, telecommunications, you name it. NASA's the one that's bringing that stuff up there. And the shuttles were kind of designed to have the capacity to bring these things up into space. And that's how they were making their money, not really from the government. They were making their money from private contractors. Uh, but that puts a lot of pressure on, all right, well, you paid, we paid rather. So get our satellite into you're space. Getting up there. Yeah, you're, you're, it's happening. Like, yeah, you're, we're getting all right. this money. Then you give us the money that, we're, you know, give us what we're paying for, basically. And that's yep. how these are so getting up there. All right. So let's get into uh, January 28th, 1986. Well, I think one thing that kept on coming and I kept on seeing was it, it was cold, right? That's yep. what they keep on talking. It's actually the coldest time, the coldest launch that normally it would actually dip below freezing. So they yep. probably wouldn't have launched in most other cases. But one reason why was because there was a lot of pressure to get this launch that day. 
um, for a variety of reasons, like like you said, getting the satellites up. But also another big reason was that there was um, there was a lot of press there, and that's because they were actually um, carrying in carrying up um, civilians for some of the first for time, the first time, right? Yep. And one of them was it was also the first teacher ever to go to space, which makes this even more. Um, sad when, when what happens because all the uh, this is what people always talk about but anyway, the first teacher was uh christina mick um, mccullough right yeah so she so she was going to be the first teacher in space and she was actually planning on giving a lesson from space like she was yep. going to give our Science lesson while in orbit or while in orbit so this is why school children around the world would be watching this so those people who listen who are a bit younger, they used to they talk about you know the TV being wheeled into class. Like we are of that age, I still remember like the TV getting wheeled into class. Yep. Like, oh yeah, we're watching something today, right? Uh, that's a big deal. <laughs> it was happening in all these elementary schools. Was that you know they were wheeling the TV into class? You're going to watch this, you know. The, the yeah, but it wasn't like the federal government actually sponsored this program in order yeah. to have a feed, a satellite feed directly to all these different yeah. schools around the country. It, yeah, so know, they could were, watch it. Yeah, yeah, they were this using was a this. big deal. This yeah. was going to be a big deal. Like, like I said, this was also when like we're, this, they're ushering in space. Space is a big deal. Look how important it is, right? Uh, science, all that stuff. They're really pushing this, obviously. And that's one reason why it was kind of pushed through. It wasn't really checked as well as it probably should have been because of the drop in temperature. And we'll get to that, I guess, like what actually yeah. happens. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, it's, it's quick. Yep. So uh, Krista McCullough is on there. Uh, this is a media frenzy. She's smiling. You know, there's actually another teacher, uh, which she does go into space later on. That was her on, backup. Yeah. Um, there's a backup and Krista's up there in McCullough and it's like this big deal of education, school, space. Everything's really awesome. Peachy. It gets moved quite a few times because of various things. So supposed to go on one particular day, then it gets moved, then it gets moved again. So now it's, it would have been the third time they were going to yeah. move it within and that's like a, a month. And that's, a, and that's just, you know, frustrating people. Yeah. But when you're messing around with it, space I don't, I know my idea yeah is i know like right? you really want to you really want to push the envelope like you're already pushing the envelope to begin with trying to get up there and i know hindsight's 2020 and all that stuff oh. obviously but well but there were some people so this is where we're going to get into this o-ring thing because you know for me i had to do some research so what ultimately is happening here as you mentioned tom this is the coldest launch ever yeah and the engineers at the company that build those external rockets that propel this um, space shuttle up there. These engineers have had evidence in the past when it was colder with these specific O-ring seals. Yeah. It's um, like rubber, right? It was like the rubber, yeah, rubber seals that let and, through gases and hot air. Um, yeah, if it got too cold. When it got too cold, it, yep. It, it, they, would, they would degrade, They would, which makes sense. Like something yeah. like that would happen. Oh, it shrinks when it gets cold. I mean, it's right, it's rubber. Um, so what they... It's just to kind of give you an example. The actual rocket, the way it's built, think of it as like cylinders that are stacked one on top of another uh, because you can't just build one piece. So these cylinders stacked on top of one another ultimately get really high and that becomes your rocket. Well, each time the cylinder is stacked on top of the one before, the connection point between these cylinders, that's where you have these O-ring seals. And then, you know, that's basically what connects the entire rocket then connects to this big tank. Well, there's always two seals on each connection of the cylinder. And what's happening is the engineers noticed that in the past, usually the first ring would deteriorate under cold weather. But somehow the hot air and the hot gases did not penetrate past the second O-ring. So it's almost like that was the safe point. you know. So they were like, well, one breaks, but thank goodness we have two. As opposed to thinking like, hey, this shouldn't be happening at all. 
So let's just not use this or find a better way to do it. Find a better way, yeah. And they so actually what saw happened? this. Yeah, well, ahead. they actually saw it right away. Like if you you can see there's pictures um, on the initial liftoff that right away within a few seconds of I guess ignition, there's nine puffs of gray smoke start like coming out of one of the rockets. And they're yeah. saying that's because of like it was also while the rocket was waiting there, it rained a little bit, so that the water got in, the moisture got in, it degraded the O-ring even further, and it prevented the O-rings from making a seal. And that's where you're seeing this gas escape, and you can actually see the pictures of this smoke. And that right, right there, they're like later on, they say someone should have picked this up right away. Like yeah. if you're, if there wasn't anyone monitoring it, but if someone was monitoring, they would see that gray smoke, and that would have shut down the launch. Like that was the yeah. last chance. As soon as that thing started moving, as soon as the rocket ship started going up, and that gray smoke was coming out, there was no way. This unfortunately, it was not making it into space. It just was something that's not going to happen. And this is also where it gets kind of, I would say, iffy in a sense because we could technically point some fingers and some blame here, uh, yeah. Because the whole decision to launch was delayed the night before, so because they knew that the overnight temperatures would drop to 18 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus eight Celsius. You have the engineers from the company that made these rockets. A bunch of these engineers get together and they're like, we don't think that they should launch tomorrow based on what we know. And the group of these engineers, so they're, you know, manage, there's an upper management here. These guys are just the engineers. A group of them get together and they literally have a, a last minute meeting that this is the night before. So the evening before with their management at the company to say, hey, listen, we and they put us in writing like we do not think this we build this like it's yeah, right. Why would yeah, you listen the, to them? The people who built them? Yeah, they're saying this thing is not ready to go to space. Yep. Do not let it go to space. And the management basically says all right let's let me say th- let us think about it and they get off the phone the teleconference and the management goes back uh, like an hour later and they're like no you know what there is really no proof that the second ring would go even if it, the first one goes so we're just going to go through with it and they wind up telling nasa that you know everything's fine nasa is also informed however just to kind of cover everyone's bases of the uh, engineers decision that they didn't want to do it but nasa also stamps it and says no it's fine let's do this so there are people today still alive that were like, uh, yeah, we, we built this and we said not to do this. And nonetheless, they did. They sent it in. So it didn't stay in the air for too long. That's for sure. No, it was 73 seconds after launch is when the... How many? 73, yep. 73 seconds when it actually explodes. If you watched it on CNN and through the feed that was going into the schools, you saw the whole thing. Um, if you watched this on channel four, five, you know, seven... Um, your regular NBC, ABC, you know, CBS, they actually cut the picture right away. The second they saw smoke, well, they're yeah, like, oh. the smoke. So yeah, they, they cut, cut it. it. CN did not. CNN kept it going and because and, they had the direct feed from the government and neither did the schools. The schools were saying this. And what burst was not the actual uh, space shuttle. It was the thing no. around it. The space shuttle was still – it was for a while, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for, for like seconds, it was still okay. And then when the rockets went in different directions, it actually like bursted into pieces because the shuttle was attached to it. But this is where it gets really sad in all of this. Um, you and I were talking about it before we click record, right? What's the, what's the sad part here? Well, is that the cabin broke away. It was made out of reinforced um, you know, aluminum. It separated one piece from the others. And what they have pretty much um, survived is that some of the crew uh, was definitely alive and at least conscious for a while after the initial breakup because their um, their air supplies, their like special emergency air supplies were activated. 
yep. several so of them they were activated themselves. There yeah. were switches that were switched. So apparently, like the, the pilot was trying to get regain electrical control. So they were asking actually alive or even and this thing was free falling. They were saying it was between um, the acceleration was somewhere between twelve and twenty times the force of gravity. So there yeah, was the Mach, Mach, almost Mach two. Yeah, so, so I mean, this thing is going fast, and they're you know and they're trying to like have some semblance of like what what's going on and they were in some sort of free fall but it, as it's falling towards um towards the ocean basically there are people inside trying to save their own lives basically right you can even tell that some of the people that were behind each other was activating the person the ones for the person in front of them you know helping them out and stuff like that so they were trying yeah. to restore power to the cockpit to um probably detach it from the rest of the orbiter and it falls for over two minutes like two and a half minutes yeah. before it finally they were alive it's, just knowing that they were going to die which is insane. yeah probably they said there's no way to actually determine the actual cause of death for any of the astronauts it cannot be positively determined but when it hit the ocean surface at over 200 miles an hour the, like it their helmets felt like were jerked off their heads like they're just it, it was the just all destroyed alone. yeah it, the impact alone was like beyond anything the structural limits of the compartment and beyond um the crew survivability levels yeah. So um, that, that's really what it could really do. And the loss of pressure also probably means it would have probably been um, decompression, loss of pressure. That didn't kill them. It was yeah. definitely the, uh, the impact, but they would have been unconscious probably for impact. It was also insane to me is I started looking to it. I was like, well, wasn't there no, like I think of like an aerojet plane, right? Where you could press a yeah. button and like it ejects you. There was nothing built into the shuttles because the belief was that the shuttle themselves were so safe and what they were designed to yeah. do, that there was no way really... There's no like, ejector seats wrong, or anything like that. There's, yeah, no, there's no ejector there's nothing. seats, yeah. But you can't really eject that. Well, no, you're you know, in space. Those, those speeds. Well, those speeds either. Yeah. Uh, you can't eject that at Mach 5. Like, it's, Yeah, it's you're strapped to a rocket. Yeah. yeah. But do you notice that since then, um, they started, since the Challenger, they actually started having the, where uh, space suits... A gliding, a gliding flight suit, yeah. Yep, going in and out of space. So just in case they could, and there's like a way to get out now. Well, it was yeah, but they even said that the, the the new way, that way they come up after Challenger, they couldn't, it wouldn't have, it still wouldn't have saved this crew. Oh no, no, it was, this, just, yeah, no, it no. was. They said it wouldn't have worked like it for an explosion. It just wasn't, it just wasn't gonna be possible. Yep. So basically, what winds up happening is uh, the NASA space program is put on hold for two years. It shuts down. Um, but what more, you know, immediate effects here that night, um, we know for a fact that, um, you know, this is one of the most famous or infamous, really public announcements or speeches by president or really any president. But in this case, President Ronald Reagan, he goes on national television. He cancels his State of the Union address. He goes on national television and he gives um, they said supposedly one of his greatest speeches about the Challenger disaster. Some newspapers right away blamed the fact because the White House released the um, transcript of what the president was going to say during that uh, initial speech, um, you know, speaking to Congress. And in it, he was going to talk about the launch itself that was supposed to have happened successfully that morning. And he even brought one of his guests, they're allowed to bring a guest. One of his guests was someone that worked on the project. And he was going to highlight this person that now their invention or whatever is currently in space as of this morning. And so there was a lot of yeah. media that was saying like it was the White House that pressured these NASA and also these engineers to send this into space. But there's no evidence that really claims that that ever happened. There's always going to have like, I don't even want to call that conspiracy theory, but just belief. Like, yeah, there's there was pressure, right? I doubt they put the spaceship in space. We know that. Yeah. It was pressure to get him up there for a variety of reasons, and 
that's just sometimes you know they just wanted to get it done. I think if this, if this was the first delay, it probably they probably would have delayed it. But the fact that it was already delayed three times before this, they're like, we just got to yeah. go already because that's also costing money too. To prep everything, get the crew in there, refuel everything. Like it, that's money too. If yeah. anything, I say money was the real driving factor here. Was yeah, the yeah, I would say so. They wind up finding the bodies. They were in various states, uh, you know, just kind of decay, yeah. I guess. But also, there were a lot of them were in parts. So whatever, whichever ones they were able to identify, they wind up sending to, the, back families. to the families. And the other and ones were, are, yep. you know, yeah, the other ones then go on, they're at uh, Arlington Cemetery, right? Yep. There's also a piece of Challenger that's uh, on display at, at the Kennedy Space Center. They yep. have a fragment of there with a, few, with a fuselage with the American flag on it. And it's just one of these disasters that people always remember. If you're of that age, again, we were very young. I do remember seeing that. Obviously, I've seen the footage since then, but people always talk about, you know, where they were when that happened. That's another one of those like, Oh yeah, when Challenger blew up because it was such an event tied to their childhood too. Yeah, uh, a few interesting things too about just legacy wise about this. Uh, first of all, it took forever to try to find the pieces. Well, they just um, found which, another one not that long ago. And if literally last the history, year, the History right? Channel was doing a documentary on the Bermuda Triangle. They were looking for World War II wreckage, and they found a um, they found parts of Challenger. Yeah, thirty seven years later. That was so months still... ago. That wasn't even a year ago. That was a month ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're still finding it. They're still finding these things. You know when they're exploring for other stuff just in that area because it, i mean if you see the footage it totally was disintegrated like yeah yeah 100 um in 1986 the motion picture star trek um for the voyage home is actually dedicated to the crew of challenger the opening message like that's the star trek thing before it goes on the music it says the cast and crew of star trek wish to dedicate this film to the men and women of the spaceship challenger whose courageous spirit shall live to the 23rd century and beyond um and I mean, it really touched a lot of people. There's no question about it. Plus the families of the people that went the, to space. Families, you know, they've shown how like, like they're going to space is, that's like, that takes a lot of bravery. Like, obviously, yep. like just as much as, you know, so because you're putting your life on the line because anything could go wrong. Like, look, it's a small little like O-ring. Basically, it looks like a washer, right? Yeah. And this thing failed and that causes this catastrophic, like there's so many things that could go wrong. Yep, yep. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the Teacher in Space program was basically canceled. Well, they, they um, planned on putting other people in space too, right? There was going to be like they were going to bring civilians up all the time. They replaced the program in '98. The teacher in space program was replaced with Educator Astronaut Project, which differed in that now it wasn't just a teacher that was going to go into space and then come back and go back in a classroom and teach. The teacher it was a teacher, but the teacher was actually trained to be a full staff astronaut. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they wanted astronauts. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, Again, so I don't know how that would have changed anything. I wasn't going to like yeah. stop it. But Barbara Morgan, uh, who was or the backup teacher from Akala 86, uh, was selected as part of NASA Astronaut Group 17. And she did wind up going into space. But by then she was trained. So yeah, there's a lot of safety changes that are instituted. It took almost two years, but they kind of just slowly fixed things up. And as I mentioned earlier, when they restarted the space shuttle program, they restarted with the same old shuttles they had. They only replaced one, the Challenger. But um, Discovery, which is now, you know, the Challenger Discovery Atlantis Endeavor in Columbia, which is what we're going to be talking about now. Columbia was even older than the Challenger. Yeah. And that thing's still flying yeah. in 2003. You know, newest one being, like I said, was Endeavor. And, and they were not, and that's something I guess we're just talking about. Now. They were never made to last that long. Nope. Like that was not their original design. And even like we said, Challenger was, remember, that, that was a test shuttle. It's like, let's see what we can do with this. And they were using it as a normal shuttle, if you want to say yeah. that. So yeah, it, was yeah. just, it, it was just a program, again, because they're not, they weren't getting the funding. That's what they can argue. They just weren't getting the money to replace these things. And they did update them like crazy. I mean, we have to say yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, least. yeah. They did do that. They did. And there was a lot more safety protocols on the later spacecraft, obviously, than, than what they were doing on Challenger. Yeah. Columbia was... Um... Went just since 90, 1988, um, so kind of right at, because remember, during this time, everything's grounded. Uh, the Columbia Space Shuttle went through 1,540 modification packages, just advancements in thermal uh, protection technology, general technology. Uh, Columbia even had a whole multifunctional electronic display system put in, like a glass cockpit. They received that a year before it crashed. Basically, full-color, flat-panel displays installed all inside the cockpit so it was just screens like something we're used to today but in 2002 that was nasa technology you know you didn't have that and the idea here too was that it would be better because it reduced the high cost of maintaining any like outdated all electromechanical displays like everything was just computer and we should really say that since the challenger until columbia the space shuttle program worked just fine i mean yeah there wasn't any other ones yeah they, they, were, they didn't have any scares you know they would delay launches if they needed to um yeah and stuff like that. And they were used also flying back and forth or shuttle things to the Hubble Space Telescope, the repair, and also to the ISS, International Space Station. Yep. There was always a space shuttle kept up there as like a safe haven for people to get out of there, like if they needed to right away. Yeah, and, and, and the thing too is that with the Columbia, what we're about to talk right now, uh, the Columbia was going into space often to help finish up the actual space station. It was kept on bringing yeah. new materials up. And even after Columbia, the United States continued allowing NASA to bring people up into space, but only to finish or help finish up the International Space Station. Well, space, Once yeah, that was no, completed, no new missions. Yeah, the space shuttle program was shut down in 2011 and, um, you know, has not been reopened since. So let's talk about the uh, 2003 and kind of what leads to the shutting but down. The same thing, yeah, well, I... The Columbia Space Shuttle, which actually first flew in April 1981. So that was mm -hmm. when it was first used. So, and it was still flying in 2003 Three. when this happened. Yeah. That, that's from the date of the disaster. Yeah, so it was the same thing. It was another one of these orbiters, crew compartments. Um, and it was just like we kept saying, constantly being used. I guess you just want to get um, things yes. are going well, but, but these are outdated technology. Like, again, yeah. it's something from the 80s, designed design the 70s that we're still using and we're like overusing it at this point, like they're just constantly being used. And remember, they're going up, they're facing like a tremendous amount of stress going yep. in and out of space. It, what really comes into play is this foam, right? That yeah, it's it's like a foam was like a insulation foam around the rocket and around the actual gas fuel tank. This foam solidifies as the actual rockets are working and it's propelling 
your shuttle up into space or rather it's not well into space but yeah um this foam that's kind of falling off of it solidifies out of 79 missions a space shuttle mission 65 of them saw foam fall off these, yeah it was something that happened they just, they yeah, just knew that was something tankers. that was that that, that was going to happen and they just assumed it wasn't going to cause enough of um damage of, uh, of damage but again happening once happening twice okay but repeatedly over and over yeah. it's that's still going to cause some level of of damage some of degrading right yeah when this seal of foam comes off it's solidified and they're you know fairly large pieces and they almost always wind up hitting um hitting the space shuttle yeah, yeah there's the space shuttle handles. and you can see that you can see this video online of of the footage of the debris strike you can actually see this piece fall off and hit and it hits it hits like the wing i believe right of yep. of the space shuttle itself it gets in the orbit, no problem. It does what it needs to do, but then they're still like, you know, looking at all right. Did what did did it do any damage? What damage did it do to the wing? Yep. And what really led them go on in October of two thousand two, a twelve inch by five inch piece of this chunk, right, chunk of this foam, did break away off this ramp that held the rocket together with the tank, and it did strike um, one of the shuttles. It left a four inch dent. And the shuttle still wound up being fine in space fine, and yeah. coming back. So when this is happening in 2003, they see the same thing. We actually see, actually said the video, the thing is going up and you see the debris kind of something, a chunk falls off the rocket and it strikes the actual uh, wing. It was one of the wings, right? The left wing, I think, yeah. of mm-hmm. the shuttle. But the shuttle still makes it up because it's still propelled going forward. So it makes it into space fine. The issue is that if the, there's a hole in the wing that's even tiny on coming back down into earth pressure could get in through that damage hole in the wing and if that if it, tiles exactly like those tiles, tiles those, those tiles that are on there would basically like absorb the heat right from re-entry yep. so the nasa program managers they weren't really concerned about it because they they said you know it's happened they before were, yeah these debris strikes they were never worried about these debris strikes which but, but the difference here like, is like a, like a dent to your car but i think it's not a dent to your car it's a dent to the tile on a space shuttle. Like there's a yeah. big difference here. There's that is no longer difference. going to absorb heat going back into the atmosphere, which means yeah, heat huge, is going to travel huge, inside. Huge um, amount of stressors, exactly. Yeah, the actual wing, which is what happens. It rips the wing. And then yeah. that was the end of it. But the thing that's interesting, I, when I was doing research this, some people in NASA were concerned oh, enough, some engineers, when they're right like, away, yeah. Yeah, we need to get up there and fig- figure out how bad this is. Yeah. And other yeah. people are like, well, yeah, but we don't really have, we don't want to distract the actual astronauts that are up there. So they did not even tell the crew. They, they only informed the crew on the last yeah. day. And they're like, and it's nothing to worry about. It's fine. But they knew it right away. And they were like, okay, oh, yeah. let the crew. There do was their Boeing thing. analysis. There were Boeing yep. analysis that said, listen, you know, it's not going to be good. Like if that tile is, is um, loose deeper, or anything, yeah, or anything like that, then it's not going to be able to. Be, it's going to be the, the wing is going to be alum, the wing is aluminum. It's going to be unprotected. That's not going to be. It's it's not going to be protected. That's that's a problem. We have to get up there and fix it, like you said. And then the debris um, assessment team, they just said no, that's inaccurate. Yeah, and we're they were fine. like, it's it's just going to be too much time, too much money. So the other thing was, well, they ran all those take, scenarios. Yeah. yeah, and they were like, what if we do pictures? We need better pictures of it. So that, that it would require the shuttle to turn around, so that way it would be in a face facing a different direction, so a nearby satellite could take images of it. And they're like, no, that's going to disturb from the mission. Like we're not going to turn it around to look at it. And then there was even evidence later on that the Atlantis, which is another shuttle, could have been launched into space. Yeah, um, they could have done it. Yeah. yeah. 
And either A, there would have been a, a some kind of a crew that could have, they said it could have launched Atlantis with a minimal crew and transferred over some of the crew from Columbia and even done this twice if they had to, or help save and fix this uh, particular dent on that wing. But everything was fine in space. The worry was, is this thing going to make it back? And they downplayed it so much that the crew never really knew how bad it was. Um, that they were basically, I mean, someone on Earth knew that those guys were in space and they were not going to survive coming home. And there no one problem, listened yeah. to that person. They could very easily be a problem, yeah. Right. And that's yeah. essentially what winds up happening. Debris strikes, they go up there. Flight risk management's like, uh, maybe, maybe not. Some of the engineers are like, no, this is bad enough. We need better analysis. Other people are like, it will be too much money, too much time to try to get analysis. So we're just, we're just going to tell them it's fine. And the crew's informed about this really shortly before coming back to um, Earth. And they're like, FYI, there was a hit somewhere, but don't worry about it, guys. You're probably going to be asked about yeah, it they, when you land. They sent, them, they, they sent them an email. That's what I saw. Yeah. They sent them an email that said it was, nothing, no, it was no concern for uh, re-entry and that you'll be fine. But again, like, I don't know. Nuts. It's just one of those things that like, even if it's like an idea that something could be up, like why take the chance? I know. Like, you know, like, why roll the dice at all? Again, they, they assumed it was not going to happen. Everything was going to be about fine. But if all these people saying something's going to happen or something could happen, I, I listen, just, you know, yeah. especially when I you was, knew what happened, to, you know, in, in 86. Yeah. Like that, that one little thing that you don't think is a big problem can lead to, it becomes like a domino effect. Yeah. February 1st, 2003 at 8, 3.30 a.m. They start their um, re-entry. Reentry, all that the checklist, right? So they're going yep. through all that. Um, the pilot, hu- husband, and McCool, they, they're a pilot, co pilot. They're going through the checklist. Um, they're executing their uh, deorbit burn, which lasts for about like two minutes as they're slowly coming back in. And what's, um, you can find this online, it's actually video taken from inside the cockpit. Out, it's like, out, and you actually hear them talking. And then at one point, you actually see um, it's a lot, it's, uh, ends four minutes before the disaster. You can actually see um, fire on the wing. Yeah, so, so sensors become recording like greater yeah, than the normal sens- amounts of the, strain the, on the left wing. Yeah, the sensors are going off, but it's not related to the crew what these sensors are. So sirens yeah. are going off, but they're not necessarily sure what's, it's not triggered on the onboard display or something, which doesn't make any sense. So why have a sensor if it's not going to – like the, the ground control is getting it, right? But the, the pilots yep. aren't getting it. That's right. Yeah, I, and what's essentially happening is – Which makes no left- sense. No sense whatsoever. Through the left wing, um, specifically when, well, left wing and then the wheel well underneath, there is a report of a tremendous rise in temperature because now temperature is getting inside. And these these wings, this left wing is basically like, like cracking, more or less. Yeah. Um, and what winds up happening is it disintegrates, but it disintegrates in pieces and it goes through different states. Like Because again, he's going through space. So uh, you could... Yeah. Def- Actual parts of the Columbia were found in across oh, three states. Well, people were almost like seeing it, right? There's actually images of people like, and the, the crew is still alive at this point. Yeah, right? that's something you have to understand. Like they're alive, they're trying to figure out or do something. The final words don't actually come through until eight fifty nine. They're trying to respond to a uh, to the tire alarm because basically everything's yeah. melting. And he's like, um, he apparently he says, "Roger, um, but," and then at that point, the shuttle, um, that's it. That's that's. It was about yeah. 38 miles above central Texas going 18 times the speed of sound, right? And there are no other voice, no other voice messages were received. And they know that the crew was definitely still alive at this point. They were attempting to right the, um, the ship. It was almost like, sp- it was like spinning out of control. Yeah. The astronauts bodies were found uh, fairly quickly. They found them within three days 
uh, most of the remains were found. But even then, they were in such terrible pieces, really, uh, that it was it took a while to get. Well, it got ripped off. So think of it like falling in the um, it got depressurized very quickly. They're saying yeah. some of the astronauts didn't have a chance to put on their helmets because of like the massive uh, depressurization that took place. But and this that is what gets me too. Kill them too. It's like they're just. Uh, did you see this craziness that there was so much debris being sold on the internet, like eBay auctions went crazy because people well, because it was in all, my backyard. Because it was all over the place, so people are selling it. And the government, I think, gave a, a couple of days. Leeway, said, yeah. If you found it, you have like you have like twelve days to turn this over. If and not, you're going you to jail. You yeah. go, you're going to go to jail because it's federal property. Yeah. You know, and then I remember seeing the pictures. You can find these two, like these grids they use on the floor to organize all of the debris. And they never found all of it. It's the same yeah. thing that you can never actually find all of the, all of the. Yeah, like if you see debris. the pictures of it, like they did, like they drew a grid on the floor used to organize yeah, the actual debris. Slowly put it, put it all back together, and they have yeah, not I, found most of it. Crazy. No, because and, it, well, a lot of it just disintegrated. And it's leaving over forests and stuff like that. I'm sure people found it weeks later, not even know what it was. You I'm know, sure but, someone's sitting, like you know, so, watching this. It's sitting, like, it's sitting like next to their TV. And they probably yeah, never like in, or someone's garage somewhere. They don't even know what it really yeah. was. But for, I did see that um, some of the um, earthworms did survive. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. In like a petri dish, they did survive that were on the space station, or whatever. Nuts. So crazy sort of stuff. So they're looking about like the cause of accident. They pretty much know what the cause of the accident was right away. Yeah, they just didn't really yeah. do much to prevent. They do it with it. those those wing tiles from the uh, debris from from the, the strike and stuff like that. And they talk about you know well what caused all this. And a lot of it we're talking about the um, the budget constraints. You know, it was still a problem because they were operating even less by twenty one percent. They were budget was reduced by twenty one percent from ninety one to ninety four. So they were even. It was even more of like a reduced budget. So they were just trying to, you know, squeeze what they could get out of it basically. And they knew that these space shuttles were way past their operational time span. So the next, so it's again suspended for a couple of years. The so next time there's a um, return to flight mission uh, is the Discovery goes up in two thousand five. And during the discovery, they yeah. set up so many more cameras. But even then, sixteen pieces of this foam insulation dislodged itself during launch. And one was actually significant that NASA said it was like thirty-six uh, by eleven, thirty-six inches by eleven inches. It's a big one, yeah. It's a big. It's one. big, but it, it, they said it didn't do any damage. So it's almost like they they couldn't stop this. They needed this foam to insulate it, and then the foam would heat up and disattach itself. And there's really not much you could do about it. But the really the only reason we continued, as I mentioned earlier with the flights after this was to finish up the International Space Station. And once the International that's Space done, Station it, yeah. is done, we decide we're now done with the space shuttle program. Uh, it is retired officially. 2010, 2000, right? Bush. What, Bush, yeah, Bush orders it to be closed in 2010. Yeah. Yep. By then. Um, and it was it's delayed to 2011 because uh, someone had to had one more servicing mission for the telescope. But then officially 2011, um, no further crewed spacecraft will be launched from the United States. Uh, the next time that the United States ever sends a crewman or person to space is in 2020. And that is with Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, Crew Dragon mission. Um, it carried two astronauts to space. Well, yeah. actually, we carried them to the International Space Station. But space if right station, now, yeah. if we want to get Americans to the International Space Station, we use the Russian launch pads. Yeah, they are plans of building a new um, crew exploration vehicle. That's what Bush puts into place, right? He wants yeah. to fly, go back to the moon. He wants to go to Mars. But again, NASA just does not get the um, funding for this, really. Because that's ex- incredibly expensive to s- put stuff in space. Yeah. Um, so just to get stuff up there, and, you know, will it change? That's why they have all these private industries and stuff like that. Obviously, with the Space Force, that'll change things up, I suppose, right? 
Yeah. Um, it's really Space sad. Just, just, just two really sad things. They even, um, you know, that year obviously it was right before the Super Bowl, So they had, um, in Houston, so they had a pregame ceremony there to, to about the crew and same thing. Like they were all buried and honored. There was a lot of documentaries about both of these things, Columbia challenger. And this one, I remember seeing because you saw like, like it coming back to earth. It was not, the people were not going to survive. Like they just knew that you know, there's a problem with a space shuttle. And so it's like a scary, uh. sad story. Yeah, especially when someone, there's someone that, you know, if they listened to them, maybe things would have been different. Well, yeah, I think you have that a lot in history. It's always like, you know, someone says, don't do this, or, you know, this could turn out bad and stuff. But here they actually had proof. Like, this is like physics. This is engineering. The people who built it said, listen, we really shouldn't be, you know, you should launch it. I guess that pretty much does it for our podcast on the Challenger in Columbia um, space shuttle disasters. So thank you so much guys for tuning in once more to listen to our podcast. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. And thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.